Well, good morning. morning. Man, y'all look good this morning. It's good to see you. One of you said thank you. You probably didn't need to, but it's all right. (laughs) I feel God in this place this morning. You agree? Sorry. I hope you're ready for a long sermon this morning. Sorry. Um, bring blankets, pillows, <laughs> snacks for me. I don't know if it'll be long or not. I'm going to be honest with you. I, uh, the preparation for it has been long and intense this week. It's not always that way. Sometimes, man, it's smooth sailing, and then sometimes you, you feel like you're just grinding it out trying to get what you think God wants you to say. And that's kind of how it was this week. I, that line in that last song got me. That's why I'm so choked up. Like, sun, the sun shaping the shadows. My weakness shows your glory. I want you to pray this with me this morning real quick. Close your eyes. Say, Jesus, I want to hear your voice. I don't want to be in a hurry. I want you to speak through Tim. And I want to hear what you have to say to me. Those of you at home, I hope you're praying that too. Amen. All right, one more thing will do me me a favor. Normally when I preach, it's five pages long. Today's is seven. That only freaks me out. And if y'all know me, I will try to hurry up. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to say, take your time, Tim. Thank you. See, I got y'all's permission. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Ronnie's sermon last week really stirred, stirred a thought in me, reminded me of a story. And, um, but the thought took a lot of time to kind of develop. Like I said, and if, you, if you haven't been watching, on, on January 31st, Ronnie preached a sermon entitled America's Hope Part 1. And then last week he did America's Hope Part 2. And this sermon is kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, Ronnie and I talk about often, um, I think we uh, can all agree that we sense uh, so much animosity in today's world. It's easy to see the strain and the wedges that are being driven in in our country, in our world. By one group or the other, it's easy to see those things happening. We agree that there's so much hurt, there's so much pain on many fronts uh, in our world. We've discussed at length even the feeling that there is an intense attack on Christianity, the Bible, and perhaps even Jesus. Frankly, and this is Tim talking here, okay? Tim, this is Tim McCall, Wallace, South Carolina. I'm sick of it, man. I am sick of it now. I've had enough. I am sick to death of feeling hated, being told that I'm closed-minded, that... Because I believe in God, that because I believe in the Bible, that I am somehow shut off from the real world. I'm sick of it. Are you? 
And I knew I wasn't the only one. I'm going to tell you how I knew I wasn't the only one. I had a guy come up to me recently. You know what he said? He knew I was a pastor. We know each other. He said, Tim, i got to tell you something. He said, I'm sick of it, man. People just putting this stuff in front of us all the time. They just expect us to take it. We're supposed to just, you know, pretend like there's no God. We're supposed to pretend like there's no Bible. We're supposed to pretend like there's no Jesus. I am sick of it. I have had enough. And this is what he said. He said, as a Christian man, I believe that it is time we fight back. Oh, man, okay, okay, okay. Y'all go on, y'all go on there. That's what he said. He said, it's time we fight back. He was obviously very angry. He told me, he said, Tim, right now, right now, I am in Facebook jail because I shared something that I believe in. He said, I told, I told this guy off on there. He said, I even got in a fight the other day at work with a guy arguing. He said, because he, he talked some junk about Christians, so I just let him have it. Right? That's what he said. And I'll never forget this part. He said, he said, I think it's time we lace up our boots and put on our big boy pants, which apparently are cargo pants. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help that yet. <laughs> and we take it to them. That's what he said. I'm tired of it too. And I kind of agree with him. Kind of. This morning I want to add to the foundation I believe Ronnie has laid for our strategy. Basically answer these questions. How do we fight back? What should we be doing? How do we take it to them? Right? Well, to answer those questions, I think there's something we all have to know. But to get into that, guess what I got to do? I got to tell you a story. <laughs> if you want to, you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18. I'll be starting with verse 28, and I got a lot to say. This story centers around a few people. The first is Jesus, right? Jesus, uh, in our scripture today, has been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested in the garden uh, by some leading priests and some guards. The disciples have scattered, and he is currently on trial for the fraudulent accusations that have been brought against him. You with me? Say, I'm with you, Tim. Okay, you can't leave me on this now. You can't leave me. Once Jesus was arrested, he was taken to the home of a couple of different guys. The first guy is Annas, who was the former chief priest. And then he was taken to the home of his son, Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is the current chief priest. Seem a little political? Okay. Current chief priest in Jerusalem. Chief priest means that this. Caiaphas is the current leader of the 23 Pharisees that make up the Sanhedrin, the governing body of Jewish priests in Jerusalem. You got it? So that's who Caiaphas is. He's the top dog. And all the other Pharisees are there too. And if you aren't up to date on the Pharisaic happenings and agenda, I thought I was making up a word. Turns out that's really a word, Pharisaic. Anyways, let me fill you in. Let me tell you what these guys are all about. Repeatedly, the Pharisees had witnessed incredible miracles that Jesus performed. They were there. They saw it. They heard about it. People came to them throughout the Gospels. They heard teachings 
that blew their mind. Jesus' teaching that blew their mind. It challenged most of their religious system. Time and time again, the Pharisees are a group of people who were there and that witnessed unfathomable proof. That's a hard word. That Jesus was something special. Yet we are told that the Pharisees, on dozens of occasions, were meeting together, plotting and scheming on how to arrest Jesus and how to get rid of Jesus. Okay? You know that? Y'all heard that in the Bible, right? Shake your head, yes? You've seen those places in the Bible. The Pharisees, they would, they would come to Jesus. They would ask him questions, real pointy questions, trying to trip him up, trying to challenge him, trying to question what he was doing in order to find an excuse to arrest him and to get rid of him. To put it simply, these guys were all about their own power. They were all about their own authority over the people, their own prestige, but they were definitely about their own religious rules. Jesus had obviously disrupted all of these things for them, and that is why they have plotted, they have schemed, and that is why they have now arrested Jesus and put him on trial. Say, I'm with you, Tim. So as you can imagine, this is a pretty stacked court, right? Essentially, when Jesus is taken before these Pharisees, this is the first part of his trial. As you can imagine, we're talking about Jesus, and I'm going to have to kind of paraphrase a lot of this. There's no real evidence. There's no shred of wrongdoing. In the eyes of the Pharisees, the only thing they could muster is apparently they hired a couple of witnesses. And through hearsay, they established that Jesus has claimed to be God. Bla- a blasphemer, according to them. Which, by the way, it's not blasphemy if you actually are the Son of God. But in their court, that was a crime that was punishable by death. And that's exactly the verdict of their court, of their trial. Now, these guys had the power to arrest Jesus. They even had the power to uh, punish Jesus in some sense. But guess what they did not have the power to do? Put him to death. That's exactly right, Sarah. They couldn't execute him. The Jews were currently under Roman rule and by decree were no longer allowed to issue their own death sentences. So what do they got to do? That's right. They have to somehow get the Roman government, the governor at the time, to sign off on Jesus' execution. So that's where we pick up in our story. They're taking him to the Roman governor. Ready? Say we're ready. John 18, verse 28 says, Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Let me reiterate, no cause, no evidence, no legitimate witnesses, but apparently they had a guilty verdict. It says, then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor, and that guy is a man named Pontius Pilate. Okay, let me fill you in a little bit on who he is. Uh, Pilate is described as a ruthless dictator. He was harsh. He was mean. Okay? He, just so you know this, he executed people left and right all the time. It was like a, just something he did on a regular day basis. Okay? Beyond that, he didn't like the Jews. And the Jews definitely didn't like him. They were, the, the Jews were a thorn in his side with their constant complaining and their useless customs he had to combat at every turn. And the Jews hated Roman rule and everything he represented, he represented as their governor and ruler. 
He looked to put them down every chance he got, right? And they looked to undermine him every chance they got, okay? This is what it says. His accusers didn't go in size because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate Passover. Just a small side note you guys just got to see right here. These guys have falsely accused Jesus, arrested him, looking to get him murdered, yet they're still recognizing their own religious rules by not defiling themselves by being in the presence of this Roman guy before Passover. Just want to point that out. Verse 29. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, What is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Can I point something else out right here? Y'all with me? It's pretty vague, isn't it? I mean, you feel like that's a little vague, right? Pilate goes, hey, what do he do? And they go, well, he's a criminal. What do you think they're hoping? I think they're hoping that he'll just take them at their word and kill the guy, right? They're not going to say more than they have to say. That's what I think. Verse 31, then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate said to them. Take him away and judge him by your own law. This is what they say back. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. And this fulfilled uh, Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. The plot thickens, right? Pilate finds out what they're after. We can't kill him. Only you can kill him. And that's what's got to happen to this man. He's got to be killed. Pilate sees what's up. Verse 33, it says, Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought for him, uh, brought to him. I'm sorry. And then he asked him this question. He says, Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Now, you got to pause for a second. What just happened? Do you notice a change in language? You see, what we read is after the he's a criminal line didn't work in Luke, we're told that the Jewish leaders began saying, he claims to be the, our king. He claims to be our king. Well, there's a change in language. In, the, in Caiaphas' trial, it was that he claimed to be God. But now that he's in front of the Roman governor, it's he claims to be what? King. That's exactly right. What's the difference? Well, if they say he claims to be king, king, claiming to be a king, is a challenge to Caesar. That is an act of treason. And that is punishable by death. That's exactly right. They lied. In verse 34, Jesus replied, Is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? What is Jesus saying? Somebody say that. Right? Somebody else told you that, didn't they? Verse 35, we see a little bit of Pilate's ego. Am I a Jew, he retorted. Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom, 
listen, is not of this world. Jesus clarifies something, right? My kingdom is not on earth. What's he saying? This is just, I'm talking about something spiritual, right? You would think that Pilate would see that, understand that. It's of no threat to you, Jesus says. But Pilate seized on a word. You know what word it was? Kingdom. Pilate said in verse 37, So you are a king. Jesus responded, You say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. I would love to have time to break this down, but I'm not going to. Basically, this is what you've got to understand. Jesus describes who he is again, and he describes what he came for again. And do you know what happens with Pilate? Whoosh! Now do that. Whoosh! Straight over his head. I don't know if Pilate is just trying to get his Roman, Greek, philosophical, philosophical mind on or whatever, but he says... What is truth? Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people and he told them. This is where it gets a little crazy. After this questioning, Pilate goes out. Look what he says. He is not guilty of any crime. What in the world's going on? I thought about this all week. I mean, there's there's so much that happens right here. He's not guilty. Perhaps in the question, Pilate just says, I, I think he's innocent. I don't see anything that he's done wrong. Perhaps Pilate realizes, I mean, he, he's not a fool. This is his place. He knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus came into town just a few days ago and everybody was celebrating, right? He may think maybe these Pharisees are just jealous of him and he just doesn't want to be a pawn in their game. Also, in one of the other Gospels, we're told that at some point in time during this questioning, Pilate receives a letter from his wife who says, Please, do not harm that righteous man. I've had dreams about him all night. that They've terrified me. So Pilate is responding to one of these things, either the sense of innocence that he sees in Jesus, the fact that he doesn't want to appease the Pharisees, or he's scared to death of his wife like you know most of us are, and... He says, man, he's not guilty of any crime. Pilate renders a verdict not guilty, but he postpones the sentencing. Now, apparently when he, when he says this, when he tells these, these guys, the Jewish leaders, and apparently the crowd had begun to grow substantially because it says people. The Bible begins talking about there being a mob of people there. Apparently when he says he's not guilty... The crowd is not happy with that. The Jewish leaders are not happy with that. And they begin shouting. They begin raising a little cane, as we call it in the south, right? So Pilate tries something else. He goes, all right, guys, here, here, here. It's Passover time, and normally I release one prisoner for Passover. So I'll give you guys an option, okay? Here's what we got. On this hand, we've got Jesus. The king of the Jews is, is what I've heard him called. And on this hand... I will release Barabbas. And Barabbas, guys, if you don't know, is a murderous, treacherous, all-around terrible human being. 
And Pilate says, so which one do you want me to release, Jesus or Barabbas? And we're told in the Bible that the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, began walking around, and they were yelling and whispering in the ears of everyone, we want Barabbas. So that's what the crowd shouts. Loose Barabbas! Release Barabbas! Pilate is confused. Doesn't make any sense to him. And then he does the unthinkable. And trying to get out of the situation, then Pilate says, I got an idea. We'll beat him to death. I mean, we will beat him up. We will tear him up. And maybe that'll appease him. So he has Jesus flogged. And I know you've heard this before. But I need you to hear it again, okay? In the, in the Roman rule, they would issue different levels of, of the beating. And Pilate gives him the worst of it. 39 lashes with a wooden-handled whip with multiple strips of leather that come off of it. And at the end of each one is tied a piece of bone or a shard of metal so that when they strike him 39 times, it sticks and then they rip it. Many people died at a beating like this. So they tie Jesus down and they flog him. then they pick him up they find this purple robe and they wrap it around him they fashion a crown of thorns big old thorns and they squeeze and press that thing down on his head when it brings blood and then it says the soldiers took turns punching him in the face over and over and over Y'all may not know this about me, and please don't judge me. I mean, y'all are church, and we ain't going to do that. Um, but I like fighting, mixed martial arts, boxing, you know. And uh, mixed martial arts probably being the more, slightly more violent. And uh, have, you ever, have you ever watched it or you ever seen it? you ever seen a guy after 25 minutes of a mixed martial arts fight? You know what I mean? Where there's rules. And a little bit of a padded glove. These guys, a lot of times when they're doing their interviews, they're unrecognizable. Contusions and swelling and blood and cuts and everything else. That doesn't even touch the way Jesus looks in this moment. Are you hearing me? That doesn't even touch the way Jesus looks right now. He more closely resembles a bloody corpse than he does a human being. And Pilate has this idea, and he says this. Pilate went out again, went outside again, and this is verse 4, 19 verse 4. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now. But understand clearly, 
that I find him not guilty. You know what he's saying? I'm about to show you an innocent man. I'm about to show you what I did to a guy that I think did nothing wrong. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here's the man. You look those words up. He says, look at this pitiful man. Are you seeing Jesus stand there? Pilate said, look, here's the man. Behold the man. Verse 6, this is what they said. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. Kill him. Right? We want more blood. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. Now when Pilate said this, apparently the Jewish leaders there are in an absolute uproar. And they let it slip what they actually had brought him there for. They said, he claims to be God. That he's got to die because he claims to be God. Well, when Pilate heard this, it scared him to death. So Pilate takes him, but wouldn't it you? He takes him inside and he said, who are you? Tell me who you are. You've got to tell me. Pilate even said, he said, I have the power, Jesus, to release you or to kill you. You need to talk to me. You know what Jesus told him? Jesus said, the only power you have was given to you by God. Pilate, he don't know what to do. He's scared to death, I guess. And he says in the Bible that he tried to release him. And when the Jewish leaders heard this, they began chanting and shouting, If you do this, you're no friend to Caesar. Pilate, if you release Jesus, you are no friend to Caesar because you're releasing someone who who is threatening Caesar's rule. You see what they're doing? Applying pressure, right? If you release him, we'll, we'll send word back to Rome what you did. In verse 13 it says, When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here's your king. Away with him, they yelled, away with him, crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. Did you catch it? We have no king but Caesar. These religious leaders who claimed to hate Rome, spoke against it often, hate Caesar, issue the ultimate compromise. They could form, right? We have no king but Caesar. They would rather be under the thumb of Roman rule than in the embrace of Jesus, right? 
Verse 16, it says, Then Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified. And that's where we're going to stop our story. And you know how it ends. So I have a point to make. Would you like to know what it is? Say, Tim, tell me the point. There will always be enemies of Jesus. There will always be enemies of Jesus. There will always be a group of people who will not be satisfied, who will not rest until Jesus is dead and gone. They'll stop at nothing. The day Jesus was born, everything he represents, everything he taught, and everything he did, he would step all over the toes of of a particular group of people. It disrupted their plans, their power, their greed, even their belief system. Or they just didn't like it. Because of that, it creates a vendetta. We will not rest until this man is gone. Do you see that in the story? They weren't happy at any point, were they? Until he was gone. They were willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of him. Did you see that? Do you believe that? They were willing to lie, cheat, twist, shout, incite, conform. For the sake of getting what they wanted. Jesus removed they were willing to lie what they say he's a criminal right they were willing to cheat they hired false witnesses at his trial right they were willing to twist his words he said he's a what king They were willing to shout. If it doesn't work quietly, then what will we do? Let's get louder. Right? They were willing to incite a mob. Let's get as many people together as we can. And all shout the same thing. They were willing to pressure. Apply pressure. What would Caesar think? Is this, are y'all getting this? They were willing to conform. They were willing to compromise in any way to get what they wanted. Caesar is our man. Right? They would stop at nothing to see Jesus removed. I need to point out that in so many ways today, guys, that group of people still exists. And they still have the same goal. Get rid of Jesus. Pronto. And they will not rest until they get rid of Jesus. Anything that looks like him, anything that acts like him, teaches like him, has got to go, right? Do you see that the tactics haven't changed at all? Do you see in that? The tactics haven't changed at all. They'll lie about who Jesus is and what he represents. Right, Brian? 
They'll bear false witness against him. They'll twist what Jesus says. They'll, twi- they'll twist what the Bible says. Do you see that? I need y'all to help me out. They will ensure that their shouts are the loudest. Right? Or at least on every channel. They will apply pressure socially, politically, culturally. They will get all the numbers they can get together so that we feel like the odd man out. They will choose conformity and compromise at every front if it means it pushes Jesus just a little bit farther out of the picture. Am I right? That group of people still exists. They are still out there. And they are fighting hard every day. I got to ask you a question. Have you had enough? Good. But I want to tell you something Jesus showed me this week. There will always be enemies of Jesus. But to Jesus, they aren't enemies. They are the mission. Don't Don't start squirming now. Jesus showed me this this week and it worked on me. They aren't enemies at all. They're just his mission. I mean, after all, he died for them too. I thought about right here just quoting John 3.16 to you guys. Y'all know John 3.16? For this is how God loved who? The world. Which means what? See, y'all been taught that since Sunday school. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, y'all know that frontwards and backwards. I know that. But man, we got a real habit of forgetting it. As this group of people plotted, schemed, arrested, lied, twisted his words, Shouted for his death, spit in his face, whipped him, beat him, and hung him from the cross. He was going there for them the whole time. He loved them so much, he was dying for them. He let it all happen because that was his mission. You know how I know that, though? When I do a story like this and I do something out of the Gospels, I always listen to it in every Gospel that it's in. And so, or read it. And uh, this week, on Wednesday, I'm still just trying to figure out exactly how God wants me to say this. And I am um, on the elliptical at the gym, listening on New Version. There's this great thing where you can just listen to the Bible. And I'm listening to this whole story. And I've went past actually where we stopped today. I'm just listening. And this verse gets quoted. And if John 3.16 isn't enough, this is what you need to know. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus said as he was breathing his last breath on the cross. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. Who do y'all think he was talking about? 
He was talking about them. Right? He was talking about the ones that put him there. Jesus loves them just like he loves you. He's pursuing them just like he did you. And he wants their redemption. Just like he wanted yours. They may want to be his enemies, but to him, they're the mission. He wanted to give them another chance. He wanted his father to forgive them. So in light of this truth, what do we do? There will always be enemies of Jesus. But to him, they aren't enemies. They are the mission. So what should we do? We should treat them accordingly. You know, we have a choice every single day. We can treat them like they are the enemy. Or we can treat them like they are the mission. Are y'all hearing me? We can treat them like they are the enemy. Or we can treat them like they are the mission. And there is a difference. So how do I know, Tim? How do I know how I'm treating them? Let me ask, ask yourself this question. From now on, before you act, before you do, before you click share, before you say a word, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is motivating me? What is motivating me? Am I angry? Am I frustrated? Am I sick of it? Have I had enough? Am I about to take it to them? Or are you compassionate? Are you heartbroken? Do you love them? Before you let them have it, let me ask yourself this question. When is the last time you prayed for them? Are you hearing me? You say, Tim, but i got to be honest. I agree. I should be able to say what the Bible says. Absolutely. I can, I, Tim, I feel like I can say what's right or wrong. You absolutely can. Tim, I don't want to hide Jesus. I don't want to hide my beliefs. I don't think you should. But before you act, ask yourself what's motivating you. We have the choice whether we treat them like they're the enemy or like they're the mission. There is a difference. You get to choose whether you raise a hand or you reach a hand. And if you want to make a real difference... I promise you this. Reach a hand. It'll go a lot farther. Are you good? Let me pray for you.
Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the experience I've had with you this week. Uh, It is not hard to look in your word and to look at your son and to see how he treated others. It's not hard to look and see how he treated those, that even the ones that came against him. It is not difficult to see his love and for that I am so thankful. It's not hard to see His grace. And for that, I am thankful. And it is not hard to see His mercy. And for that, I am thankful. And this is what I know. We as Christians today have a choice. And it is maybe the most important choice of our generation. And that is, how will we treat those who are coming against you? And how do we reach them? I know this. The mission, we talk about it Sunday after Sunday, the mission is still ongoing. And we need to be willing to speak. Just as Ronnie said last week, we need to be willing to bring the message of Jesus to others. But if we're going to represent Him... with what we say and what we do, that I want to represent the Jesus that was on the cross begging for the forgiveness of the ones who put Him there. It's the only way. And it's it's the only way we'll even make a dent in them. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people that they are. The way they engage and listen. Especially over these last several weeks. It's just been amazing. I know the ones that are watching online. And this is what I hope. Use it. Change us. Make us better. Make us better. Father, I love you. And I thank you for everyone that's here. I pray that we represent you well. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen. I love you guys so much. I pray you have a great week and look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye.